all stand together at this time. Uh, we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 4, beginning a new series on the life of Abraham, and today considering him as the father of all who believe. Romans chapter 4 and verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Abraham, the father of all those who believe. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. This is a new series of messages that we're beginning today. And I hope over the course of the next few weeks you will learn that uh, Abraham's story is a faith story and it is a father story. Uh, the word Avram, Abram, Avram in Hebrew uh, means father, father. Of course, God changed his name to Abraham. We'll see that. And that means the father of many people. So he went from being exalted father, Abram, to the father of many people. God would declare that to them. So certainly, Abram's story is a father story. Uh, Father Abraham, let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. He did indeed have many sons. And uh, I, yes, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Amen? Okay, there we go. Uh, got that out of the way. Uh, might have to do that a few more times before we're done. Um, what we're going to find out is that Abraham's story in many ways is our story. And that's what I want us to see. It's not going to be my purpose this morning to give you a detailed discussion of Romans chapter 4. We'll maybe get the chance sometime in the future to preach through that great book. But for now, uh, I want us to see these tr two crucial ingredients and why that Abraham is revealed here as the father of all who believe. And he doesn't really just say it once, but he says it again in, in verse 16. Uh, Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. Romans chapter 4 is a part of Paul's great discussion of the principle of justification by faith. To be justified in a legal sense means to be declared not guilty according to law. But in a spiritual sense it goes a step further. Because not only are we declared not guilty according to law, but we are declared to be righteous in the sight of God. Now, it may seem that those two things would be the same thing, but of course that's not uh, at all the case. Uh, you can be acquitted of a, a crime that you were accused of, but that doesn't mean that you hadn't committed some other crime. You could be a, acquitted, declared not guilty of some one sin, but it doesn't mean that there would not be other sins. But to be justified in God's sight means that we have been declared to be righteous. 
And he makes that declaration in verse 3 of chapter 4. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now in its context of Romans chapter 4, Paul is making a great uh, statement that we're so very thankful for. And, and that is that uh, this blessedness, that blessedness of having your sins forgiven. Isn't it a blessing to have your sins forgiven? Isn't it a blessing to be that person to whom the Lord will not impute sin? I mean, he went further. Blessed is a man unto whom the Lord will not count sin against. Impute sin. And so he asked the question, well, is this blessedness just for the Jews, the circumcision? Was it just for God's chosen people, the Old Testament? Or, or was it to, for anybody, for everybody? And of course, critically, it would refer to the Gentile peoples, the uncircumcised, as he calls them in this chapter. And that's why he brought up that whole issue, a very, very critical issue that was settled so long ago. Because you see, when Paul brought us in, as he does here in this passage, uh, through the work of Jesus Christ, declaring that we have been brought into this principle, that we are now the descendants of Abraham, and we are considered to be his children, and, and, and we are considered to be not his physical progeny, but his spiritual progeny by faith. But then there's that big question, well, God, you see, required all of Abraham's male descendants to be circumcised. So was this going to be something that had to continue on in the New Testament of the New Covenant? And of course, they decided that. And, and Abraham was God's exhibit A because God had appeared to Abraham uh, not, after, not after the seal of circumcision was implemented, but before Abraham believed God. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He was justified by faith, not by works, not by the seal of circumcision, but by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Oh, you see, it is no small thing, scripturally speaking, to be of the lineage of Abraham. And so in establishing this great truth, basically I want us to look in Romans chapter 4 just for a moment this morning so we would get this down. That Abraham is declared to be the father of all who believe. All who believe. And so we would be perfectly correct in Referring to Abraham as our father. Not just the father of the Jewish nation, but our father too. By faith, the father of all who believe. Clearly established for us in Romans chapter 4. The big question for us is why. And I think in order to understand the why question, or to answer the why question perhaps more specifically, we're going to have to go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. 
And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's start out this morning by reminding ourselves that the name Genesis, or the word Genesis, refers to a beginning. And in the first chapters, the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis, gives us at least three. There might be others, but for our purposes this morning, we're going to look at three. It is the story of creation, and, and that gives to us the beginning of humanity. That was the point. The beginning of humanity. And that story is told in Genesis chapter 1 uh, through chapter 3. Then there's the next beginning, that is the beginning of Noah and his family after the flood. And then there is the beginning that is told through Abraham, and that starts in Genesis chapter 12. So at least three beginnings. The creation, the beginning of humanity. Another beginning then with Noah after the flood. And now another beginning in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. You can put these three together under three headings this morning. It is the story of the fall. It is the story then of the flood. And it moves very quickly. Twelve chapters to the story of faith. Let me tell you something. If you're going to live in a fallen world, you need faith. We need to realize, just remind ourselves from time to time that the story of God's word from beginning to end is the story of redemption. The Bible is a book. And like every book, it is, uh, has a, a key theme, a storyline. And the storyline is God's great work of redemption. And when we understand that it makes sense, that it's the story then of the fall, the story of the flood, God's judgment, and then the role of faith. God moves. He spends much, much, much more time telling us a story about Abraham's faith than he spent telling us how the universe became. We need to get that point. See, the Bible is a story about redemption. It's God's great work of redemption. And one of the key characters in that great story of redemption is Abraham. And, and that's why we're going to learn over the next few weeks how that Abraham's story is our story. You see, it's a story of how a man could be born under the curse and be far from God and yet become a believer. And have it then to be accounted unto him for righteousness. And thus claim the promises of God to him. And take his place in God's great story of redemption. Now when God put a period on the book of Revelation, God's divine revelation to us was finished. He is not continuing to reveal his word to us. His word is done. And we have in the word of God what we need to be thoroughly, fully furnished unto all good works. And yet we need to understand that God's story of redemption is still going on. Because he writes it in your life. And he writes it in my life. And he reveals through us. To this sin cursed world. This great work of redemption. He placed that knowledge in us. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, the knowledge of him. The knowledge of Jesus Christ. He placed in these earthen vessels. Your life and mine. And so in that sense. That great story of redemption is still ongoing. 
And only God knows how many more generations are going to be the recipients of that story. But we know that Simon Peter told us that the long-suffering of God is salvation. So as much as we long for the coming of Jesus Christ and as much as we look for His return unto this earth, yet we're thankful that we're still here serving, that we're still here being able to witness and testify to others of the gospel of Jesus Christ because every moment that passes is another moment for more people to be saved and to come then to a knowledge of the truth. Only God knows. When his great story of redemption is going to be concluded. There is a time when his task will be finished. But it's not yet. In the meantime, we live out kind of like Abraham did. God presents Abraham as his exhibit A of what it means to live by faith and to walk by faith. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, he makes this simple declaration. Uh, Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So you see, our faith in God is not just about our salvation experience, but our faith in God is what uh, dominates our life. We are believers in Christ. And because we are believers, it changes everything about us. God doesn't leave us long to wonder in ambiguity about what it means to live by faith and to walk by faith because right here with Abraham, we see it. Abraham was living by faith. What did that mean? It meant that he trusted in the promises of God. That would have been a great place to say amen, so I'll say it again and give you a little prompting. He trusted in the promises of God. That's exactly right. What does it mean to be a believer? It means I believe in God's promises. I believe that His Word is true. I believe that what He has promised, He will do. What it means to be a believer, we believe in the promises of God. We certainly believe in His promises about salvation, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on. We also see it Uh, brought out in Genesis chapter 12 because it's just packed full of the promises of God and we notice them in these I will statements in Genesis 12 1 God says get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed I could preach a sermon on every one of those I will promises of God. I simply underlined and highlighted them for you in this passage so you would see them very plainly. The I wills of God. These are God's promises. I will. I will. I will. I will show you a land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. But in order to really get the full significance of this, we need to see it in the context of Genesis. Because you see, the previous chapter told us a story of a man 
man by the name of Nimrod. Uh, not, not a lake in Arkansas, but a man, Nimrod. Nimrod built a city after the flood. And Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4, and he and his people, uh, Nimrod was a leader of this, but uh, this is what they said. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. That's Nimrod and his civilization and his city came to be known by what happened later, a city called Babylon. From beginning to end, you never get away from that story in Scripture, just like you never get away from Abraham and his story of faith. You never get away from the story of Babel and Babylon in the Scripture. You find it all the way over in Revelation because it represents what God shows us right here in this chapter. It is a difference between the let us of man Let us build ourselves a city. Let us make ourselves a name. Let us build a tower that would stretch into heaven. Let me make my own way. Let me do it for myself. Let me make my name great. Babel and Babylon then throughout Scripture represents that effort of humanity to exalt itself even unto the heaven. And it contrasts so clearly when you think about it. Let us build a city. Let us build a tower. Let us make our name great. But what did God say to Abraham? I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make of you a great nation. I will show you a land. On the one side, humanity doing all it can do. And out of that darkness, God raises up a champion, Abraham. And from the moment that he reveals himself to him, he has given him these promises. Set in stark contrast then to humanity making its own way and doing its own thing. Is this man who is a believer in the promises of God. Now the chances are if I hadn't have told you that Nimrod was a a mighty man, that he built a kingdom and a city, you would have probably never thought of Nimrod. But you know Abraham is still front and center on the world stage. I grew up in the height of the Cold War in the 60s and 70s. It was barely 30 miles from my house to Barksdale Air Force Base as the crow flies. Those of you who don't know about Barksdale, it's a USAC base, was then. I saw those big bombers flying over my house all the time. It'd rattle our windows. I didn't know, to this day I still don't know, whether they were carrying the bombs or not, but I lived in the height of the Cold War. The preachers back then talked a lot about the battle between communism and capitalism, and we heard a lot about how that Russia and, and, and America and, and how that, that fit all into Bible prophecy. And you still hear about that some. And I'm not going to tell you this morning uh, that there's not part of that still going on. But we came to understand 
that the things that are dividing the world and the greatest threat to the world and the thing that we're going to, God was going to use to fulfill his overall prophetic pattern would go back to this guy, Abraham, who had a son by his own way that was rejected. But a son that came by faith. And the world is still divided. From Abraham's two boys. Isaac and Ishmael. It was a reason why after 9-1-1. That an artist rendition of Abraham. Was on the cover of the New York Times. The National Geographic. Newsweek magazine. There was a reason why. Abraham, you see, is still front and center on the world stage. God said, I'll make your name great. I'll tell you, when God makes your name great, he makes it great. Amen. I tell you, we don't forget Abraham. We've forgotten a lot of others. You see, Abraham is given to us to show us that his life was not built on the power of human ability, but it was built on the power of the promises of God. And because of that, then we're able to pick up one of the great promises of Scripture, which is in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, where God said, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. You see, in the very first uh, same breath that God said, I will bless you and make your name great. He also said, and you shall be a blessing. So in contrast to that time of Nimrod, when the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and, and they had all things in common, and, and, and they said, let us, let us, let us. We are given instead the I wills of God, and culminating in this one, I will bless you so you can be a blessing. Dear people, I hope and pray that we can all have this uh, center down deeply in our hearts over the coming weeks. God doesn't just bless us to be blessing us. He blesses us so that He can make us a blessing. And Abraham is the example of how he does that. Born in pagan darkness to an idolatrous father and mother. And yet God would raise him up. And he says, I'll bless you. And you will be a blessing. And not only will you be a blessing, but he says, in you, all the nations of the whole earth are going to be blessed. And that promise is still playing out today. One more passage this morning I want you to pick up quickly and we'll be done. That's Hebrews chapter 11. You can read along on the screen. Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundation. Whose builder and maker is God. You see, living by faith and walking by faith means so often that we'll have to go without knowing. Going without knowing is one of the key characteristics of, of the life of faith. We don't know exactly where we're going, but we know the one who does know where we're going. And Abraham lived his life 
as what we today might call a squatter. I'm not going to tell you he was a pauper. He was not. He was a wealthy man. He was rich in cattle. But he didn't own a lot of property. And yet God gave Abraham the land from the Nile River in Egypt to the Euphrates River. That's where he came from. In a sense, Abraham's whole life was lived between those two rivers. And wherever he went in life, he was walking on land that belonged to him because God gave it to him. There's that nasty little detail called a title. <laughs> how, mu how much did he ever have title to? Bought, paid for, got a deed, got it recorded. A burial plot. The only land he ever bought that he ever actually got title to was the cave at Mamre where he would bury Sarah first and then the day he himself would also be buried there. He lived his whole life on land that God gave to him. He was a wealthy man in many ways. But he didn't get the title deed to much of that property. He died, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us, still looking for that city. Lived all his life in a tent. Perfectly content to travel around from place to place. Trusting in God's promises. Experiencing God's provisions. You see, we're going to learn that the life of faith means that it is God's promises, not our experience, that determines the ultimate reality of my life. It is God's promise, not my experience, that determines the ultimate reality of my life and we can see that in the most important issue at all in the matter of our justification God declares us to be righteous in his sight and yet all of us would give the temptation that we fail and sin and fall short on a very regular basis if not a daily basis but it is the promises of God not our experience that provides the ultimate reality in our life. I'm going to close out with a few summary thoughts then this morning that we'll just lay out there for you today and you can think about later. You see, God is showing us through Abraham what it means to live by faith and walk by faith. His story is our story because you see, like Abraham, we were all ignorant of God and Till he revealed himself to us with his promises. And, and that promise is most critical. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Who has shone in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He gives us then that promise. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're saved here today. It's because you claim that promise by, as your own by faith. And we were all ignorant of God. 
until he revealed himself to us in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The promise. Like Abraham, we're called from a world of darkness and unbelief to live on the basis of his promises to us. Simon Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Then, like Abraham, we're blessed to be a blessing. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. Those of us who have experienced the blessings of God and who are experiencing the blessings of God then are qualified or capable of sharing those blessings with the world around us. God blesses us to make us a blessing. And the last thing, like Abraham, everything we live on for our entire lives is ours by the promise of God. Because you see, in Romans chapter 8, Paul said that we are the sons of God, that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, the children of God. And if children, he says, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In the Beatitudes, Jesus told us that the meek would inherit the earth. Do we believe it? That's the promises of God. Do we believe it? We're joint heirs with Christ. Do we believe it? Yes. It's everything we live on our entire life. Belongs to ours by the promise of God. It's ours. You can't borrow money against it. Thank God you don't have to make payments on it. Payments already paid. Don't have to pay taxes on it. We might not ought to preach so much about it because the IRS might get wind of it and start trying to reassess our net worth. Remember I told you that it is the promise of God, not our experiences. That's our ultimate reality. I tell you, we work hard all of our lives to get things, and, and rightly so. We look down on people who don't work. I understand that. The Bible tells us if a man shouldn't work, doesn't work, let him not eat. We work hard uh, to buy a house, to buy land, to buy property, to be a person uh, who has various things. It feels good uh, to have a house of your own. And I know you folks have, have worked very hard, those of you who, who have land and who can, can be blessed by that. I know, I know you've worked hard for that. I'm not minimizing, please. Don't go out of here today thinking, I minimized that a bit because I didn't. That's important the Bible teaches. But we also know that all the things that give us title, all the things that give us wealth, can all be gone like that. It can happen. But in the end, it is the promises of God, not our experience, that provides the ultimate reality in our life. Because the promise of God is unshakable. It is unimpeachable, unchangeable. It is eternal. 
We look for a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. You believe it's going to happen one day? Sure you do. What's going to happen to this world? Everything in it, Simon Peter says, is going to be burned up. Every bit of it. Every bit. We, by faith then, claim the promises of God. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Why? Because we're believers. Our world is increasingly being pulled apart. Based on those who believe the promises of God. And who claim them as their ultimate reality. As opposed to those who reject the promises of God. And who claim themselves as their ultimate reality. We're going to find out that that's not anything new. Abraham lived in the midst of that same tension. But I do believe it's getting worse. If for no other reason, because there's so many more people now than there was then. And there's a lot more of them. There's a lot more of those who reject the promises of God than those who believe the promises of God. That puts a lot of pressure on us. I pray over the weeks ahead that we'll just camp out around Abraham and learn about what it looks like to walk by faith and live by faith, understanding God blesses us so we can be a blessing. Let me ask you a question. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you believed on Him? We know so much more about God's redemptive work today than Abraham did. Abraham believed in what God revealed to him. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Oh, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And that means you, and you, and you, and all of you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. And it gives out the invitation, whoever believes on Him, that's the Son of Man, Him, Himself, Jesus Christ, should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believed on Him, you need to follow Him in baptism. If you're a saved, baptized believer, you need a church home. All of these things are simply expressions of how we live by faith, And we walk by faith. Let's stand together.